Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. My name is Erin and I'm your host. I'm a Philly-based healing artist and witch and weirdo and human. <laughs> um, today's episode is about my journey with religious trauma and healing. This episode has been a very long time coming. I don't even want to tell you how long I've had it on my calendar to record and I've continued to push it back. <laughs> but I think that's just because it's intense and it's something that still feels a bit hard to talk about. It feels controversial. It feels a bit like airing my family's dirty laundry in a way that doesn't feel so comfortable. Um, but I do really want to tell these stories, and I think you know if you've listened to this podcast that I think storytelling is really powerful. And so it's, it's finally time for me to share this episode about the story of my journey with religion here. And as much as I'm able, I'm going to keep it focused on myself um, and not try to yeah, share so much about other people who are involved, like my family or anything like that, because it really is not an indictment of them or anything like that. So I think another reason that religious trauma has been coming so much to the forefront this year is because it's been my Hierophant year. And if you work with the tarot, then you know the Hierophant is often associated with hierarchical systems of authority and structures of power. It's sometimes called the Pope in other decks or the High Priest, and there are definitely religious connotations and associations with that, and how that year really manifested for me has been through working with a lot of religious trauma and also, you know, deprogramming from other hierarchical systems of authority and binary thinking and a lot of stuff around that. But religious trauma definitely coming to the forefront. And for me, I work with cards of the year from birthday to birthday. So that would be October 2019 to October of this year was my Hierophant year. So I've sort of emerged on the other side of it. Um, but yeah, looking back, it's really no surprise that this has come up so much for me this year and that I also felt called to write the religious trauma workbook this year. And I've heard from so many of you that this topic resonates, that you also have religious trauma, that you grew up in religion or came to religion later and are struggling with its impacts, that you're recovering from religion, and I really appreciate all of you who share those stories with me, who reach out and tell me about your experiences. It really means a lot, um, and it's, yeah, it's good to hear that we're in it together, right? That we're, that we're all healing together. So just a little, a little bit of a caveat before I really get into it. Obviously, this is my story. <laughs> this isn't intended to say anything about anyone else's experience, about religion in general, anything like that. This is just my story, my experience, and with that, it's also not up for debate. This is just what happened to me and how I think about what happened to me and how I grew up. So honestly, there is a lot that I don't remember, and I think that's part of what my body has done to protect itself. 
is hidden some of these memories from me i think that's a yeah protection strategy a coping mechanism that my brilliant body has often used because i'll often have sort of repressed memories surfacing and i'm like the fuck is that like (laughs) i can't believe i forgot that happened so I think that's a lot of the reason that I don't remember a lot of things and also just it's been a long time, you know. So I grew up going to church, Southern Baptist, Christianity would be the specific kind of church, the specific religion, and really everyone in my family is some form of religious. There's no one in my family, at least that I know of or that is you know publicly and outwardly this way who is not Christian not everyone in my family is evangelical I would consider only a few of my family members to be evangelical definitely my mom and a few others who yeah, I've spent a lot of time with and grown up with but definitely not everyone in my family is evangelical I remember I accepted Jesus in quotes (laughs) and got baptized as a kid. I was really young. I want to say I was around five, six, seven, something like that. Definitely no older than seven. I remember filling out this white and green workbook about Jesus. It was like, now you've accepted Jesus. Here's all this stuff to know. And I remember getting baptized in a lake and the church was like so progressive everyone thought because they were like baptizing you in nature and not in like inside the church in the weird tub or whatever which looking back is kind of funny but um I was baptized in the lake and when I think about that now it's like it was presented as such a choice you know but I think even then I understood it wasn't really a choice I wasn't really allowed to say no to say I don't believe I don't agree not that I didn't believe or didn't agree then because I definitely did I I would say now that I was indoctrinated and brainwashed in in Christianity from literally from birth um but yeah it wasn't actually a choice that I made I understood I think at a subconscious level at least that I would receive love for doing this and not just Jesus's love but my family's love my parents love and I think I was right about that and I also want to say there are good things that I remember too about growing up in religion I remember I loved playing in the church gym as a kid I did all of the upward sports teams if anyone else did that message me on Instagram and tell me but (laughs) I did like upward soccer basketball all that stuff and I was horrible at sports but it was fun I remember Christmas parties at the church and the red velvety tablecloths with all the treats and so there were good things too and church was really a center of community for my family especially for my mom so I just want to add that as well but it was also really hard I remember from a really young age developing some compulsive tendencies around accepting Jesus and hell like I would lay in bed looking up at the 
bunk bed roof. I had like the lower bunk bed in the room I shared with my older sister before going to bed and like compulsively accepting Jesus over and over again in my mind. Like that needed to be the last thing that I was thinking about before I went to sleep because I was terrified of going to hell, terrified of the devil, terrified of yeah, dying and going to hell. And I think middle school is really where things got hard for me. Things started to get really hard with friends in the church. And I think I'll just, I might get into that a little bit later, actually. But there was lots of drama in the youth group. And if you grew up in youth group too, maybe you'll agree with this statement. But I stand by that youth group kids are some of the meanest kids around. Um, and actually, I think I'll just share now, you know, that I hurt people in youth group and I was really hurt by people in youth group and just maybe a trigger warning here for slut shaming. I remember being in, I was probably 11 or 12, 6th or 7th grade and we were at youth group camp that summer, I believe that summer we were in Florida, like Pensacola, Florida. Um, and I'd never gone anywhere like that without my parents. It was a big deal. It was all exciting and all that. But there was this one girl in the youth group who we didn't like for whatever reason. She was a year older. I remember her being kind of mean. I don't, re- I don't really remember why we didn't like her, but we all had this problem not we all, my little group of friends had this problem with her. And I remember that we went through her bathroom bag and we found these pills and we thought it was birth control. And we told everyone it was birth control and she was on birth control and she was having sex. Which, first of all, was not true. We didn't realize that that wasn't true. It had said something, it had said something that made us think that, and also that's probably what we wanted to believe, but now actually understanding the form that birth control pills come in, that was not it at all. Um, But we slut-shamed her and we told everyone, and that was really, really harmful. And when I think about that, I do, I don't feel guilty anymore, I think. but I can see why that happened when we were all being programmed with all of this sex negativity, when we were all being taught to slut shame ourselves, to shame each other, that of course we lashed out at someone and caused harm and hurt that person. And one of the other big things that really stands out to me about those middle school years in the context of church and religion was a year or two later when my entire group of friends in the youth group dropped me and that was incredibly traumatizing and I think I think it's really interesting when we think about the subjective nature of trauma right like trauma isn't this one thing or universal or everyone is traumatized by the same things and that was an incredibly traumatizing experience for me where I learned to 
hide myself to try and fit in, where I learned to try and shape and mold myself to be whatever anyone else wanted of me or expected of me. That's where I learned it's not safe to be seen or where I first learned that, I think. That's also where I started to become terrified of being left. And I remember spending so many nights crying over that rejection and feeling so lonely and feeling so alone. And it played out in the beginning on yet another (laughs) youth group summer camp trip. And so I was just with those people who now hated me and I was alone for that whole week. So those are two, I think, events that really shaped me. And I can see how those events were shaped by what we were learning in church. And I think the other thing I want to share about internal, you know, conflict and just another trigger warning here for homophobia and internalized homophobia is I remember from the very youngest times, you know, I don't, and like elementary school, I remember that I felt intense shame thinking that, you know, if anyone knew that I felt this way, being attracted to girls, I wouldn't be loved. And I talk about that more in the episode I recorded about sexuality a couple of weeks ago. You can scroll back and find that. Um, But I remember looking at girls' butts in the hallway at school and feeling attracted to girls and telling myself, everyone feels this way. It's, It's okay, but no one can ever know. Oh, and you're still straight also. Everyone feels the same. So it was like completely repressed sexuality, which absolutely came from my religious upbringing and is a big part of my religious trauma, internalized homophobia. There's, you know, there's so much in the Christianity that I was raised in anyways that is harmful around that. You learn that homosexuality is not only a sin, it's a choice. Um, and that acting on it is one of the worst sins. They don't actually say that, that it's one of the worst sins, but they treat it that way. So just incredibly harmful things around that. And I remember really internalizing that, and this is the only instance that I can think of where I expressed, this is one of the only instances I can think of where I really expressed homophobia, And that feels really heartbreaking to me as well. I remember being on the phone with my best friend in middle school who was Jewish, who was not uh, in the church, who I knew from school and from my neighborhood, who was talking about her gay aunt who lived in Rehoboth, which is actually like kind of funny now. I didn't know at the time, but after we moved to Delaware, Rehoboth is like famous for being one of the most queer-friendly beaches in the U.S., but anyways, we were on the phone, and she was just saying something about her, and I remember specifically saying, like, I mean, I don't care, but the Bible says it's wrong, so it's wrong. Thinking about being so young, being queer myself, and saying that to someone 
is really heartbreaking, you know? To think about how I was really brainwashed and how so many of us were and are brainwashed into thinking that way and feeling that way and saying those kinds of things. Also with sexuality around that same time, that same friend (laughs) taught me how to masturbate and I remember masturbating and feeling really intense shame about that. So much so that I remember her asking me about it like weeks later and I was like, oh yeah, I, I didn't really like it. I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. Which was a lie. I loved it, obviously. <laughs> and, um, but I didn't want anyone else to know, even the friend who was also masturbating, to know that I was doing it too. So actually I thought I'd read in this moment this little poem that I wrote the other week about masturbation. Um, It's really short, and it's untitled, but here it is. When I was 11, Amanda taught me how to masturbate with a shower head. Follow an endless parade of objects I would put inside myself, shampoo bottles, hairbrush handles, etc. I heard that I was a sticky glass with fingerprints all over it, something no man would want to drink from. So cheers. My fingers on my own body, part hex on every youth pastor, on every man casting the first stone, and part spell for femme liberation. So I think that pretty much sums it up, you know. I don't know if anyone else got that metaphor specifically, but I remember we were specifically taught, outside all of the other fucked up virginity and purity metaphors, that masturbation specifically would be like putting sticky fingerprints all over a nice clean glass and then no one would want to drink from it because it's like dirty and disgusting and all of that so that's what that line in the poem is about if you didn't if you were lucky enough to not get that delightful metaphor so outside of a sexuality and homophobia and masturbating even as young as middle school i remember i was doubting I read in one of my middle school journals the other, I think like last year, do other people feel anything when they pray? I want to, but I don't. Like, I was questioning in my journal, like, why am I not feeling anything? Are other people feeling anything? Or is this just how it is? Like, I was doubting. And I remember one summer in eighth grade, I think youth camp around that same time, around the traumatic experience with my friends I was talking about I remember crying during the worship session and later I took that as evidence of oh I felt something there I felt God that was real I felt Jesus I felt something and like trying to use that to convince myself that God was real that Christianity was real that everything was right that everything was okay and I was searching for that proof because I wanted to believe it, and I wanted it to be true, I wanted it to be real, Um, but really looking back once I got some perspective, I was feeling that because I was in a bad situation with my friends, and um, I was relieved that things had worked out around something that we did, 
maybe that was actually after the whole birth control thing. I don't remember. That might be it. But there was some kind of relief that we hadn't gotten in trouble for something. And um, I was, yeah, using that as proof to get myself to believe what I wanted to believe in, but what I was already starting to know that I didn't. So that's, that's like the first instance, the first proof that I have for myself of where I started to question those journal entries later in middle school about not feeling anything, that moment of like trying to convince myself. And I, I know in high school, I started getting more and more turned off by it. I started doubting more. I started believing less, but still at times I would cling to that experience in middle school of like, I felt something there. It's real, but starting to get more and more distance from that. And I think my older sister and I together slowly grew apart from Christianity. And we haven't actually talked about this, but we would pinch each other in church when the pastor would say things that we were like, the fuck? And we would pinch each other in Sunday school, nudge each other in Sunday school, especially when they were talking about sex. And it did seem like every Sunday in Sunday school was about sex and purity culture once we were in high school. And so we were starting to question, starting to not believe together. And also in high school, I'm not sure exactly when, this might have been like 10th grade or something like that, we went to it was called Purity Ring thing. Basically, it was like a purity culture event, which was actually held at my high school, outside of school hours, but it was at my high school. My mom wanted us to go, she brought me and my older sister, and we went, and I don't remember too much about it, but I remember it being really um, scary, heavy on STI, shame, scaring. Um, I remember them putting up PowerPoints of like, if you have sex with one person, it's like you've had sex with all of these people, and like photos of um, infections and all of that kind of stuff, so it was definitely scare tactics. And I remember at the end of that event, you know, you're supposed to sign a purity pledge and get a purity ring. And we, my mom really wanted to buy us both purity rings and I refused. I'm pretty sure my older sister refused as well. So we refused and my mom got really upset with us. And I think we would have gotten in more trouble around that if my dad had been into it as well, but he was not. And this is an interesting thing that I've been talking about with some of my siblings of like, I feel like we actually missed, luckily, a lot of the more um, fucked up purity culture events. We still got all the programming, right? But like purity balls and father daughter purity dancing and all that kind of stuff because so much of it is father focused. And my dad is Christian but was never into any of that, is not evangelical, um, has very different beliefs than my mom. So I think we actually, yeah, we're spared of a lot of that because so much of it is dad focused and my dad was not into it. So purity ring thing and at some point I remember I couldn't wait to have sex. This was probably around that time, probably 10th grade. Which I think is partially my natural personality as an Enneagram 7. I've always been someone who's wanted to have experiences, to experience things. 
And by that time, I had stopped having any personal relationship with Jesus. I had really started to reject religion, although I did not tell my parents that. My older sister was in a similar boat. Neither of us told our parents that we weren't believing. And when I think about why, like why did I stop believing? What, what was it really? And I think it's, it's so hard to say. But I think part of it is just, I didn't feel it. <laughs> I didn't feel it. And at some point I could no longer convince myself that I did. I felt nothing around God, around Jesus, and at some point I just could not keep up the lie to myself that I did, that I thought it was real, when really I just didn't. I was also really turned off by not being allowed to question anything, by having to swallow the Bible whole, by having to be spoon-fed all of these beliefs and agree with them, and I think that's just part of my natural personality as well. Um... But we were really shamed as kids for asking questions about the Bible, for questioning things that we were taught, um, that pastors said, or that we learned in Sunday school, or any of those things. Uh, my mom would almost always just start crying and tell us to stop, and we would, yeah, we would have to stop <laughs> asking questions, stop saying what we thought, so that she could be okay and we wouldn't get in trouble so that I think never sat well with me and so I just kept questioning and it didn't seem like Christianity had any of those answers for me it didn't fucking make sense to me so that's how I kind of make sense of that transition away from believing but I think it's complicated, and I think I probably don't remember a lot of what was really going on. I think I remember, you know, some of the highlights, some of the bigger pieces, but I know it was complex. And I know that even after I stopped believing, I still felt scared of going to hell. I still had that little voice in the back of my head, and sometimes I still do, to be honest, um, that said, you know, you might be wrong, and you might go to hell. And in high school, I think how I would summarize my high school experience in the context of religion after that is so much lying. Just lying and lying and lying. No longer lying to myself around religion anyways, but lying to my parents, lying to my family, lying to pastors and church people and all of that kind of stuff because it wasn't allowed. <laughs> I was not allowed to believe something else. I was not allowed to not agree and I'm actually, I'm not going to get into some of the more fucked up things that I experienced around sex and around lying, but I will just say I also knew and I believe that I was right about this still, I knew that if I didn't lie about my beliefs, if I didn't lie about how I was living, that I would have no chance of getting out, being able to go to college and live on my own and come up, be myself, 
and figure out what I actually believed and thought for myself because I needed my parents to help support me and I knew that they wouldn't if I didn't lie so I just lied and I think honestly I think that's a lot of what really strict religious structures creates in families and for kids especially is the inability to be honest with each other which is really sad but I think I was right about that and so I lied to protect myself and I was able to leave and in college I really just completely turned away from religion and spirituality I was really like fuck that and was honestly really really destructive with drinking and all of that but I did start to rediscover spiritual connection through yoga in college which many of you have heard me tell that story before so I'm not going to fully get into the the details of it but I will talk a bit about you know rediscovering spiritual connection after religion in a moment but so I actually because of all that I don't actually call myself ex-evangelical I say that I was raised in Christianity slash fundamentalist religion, but I don't consider that I was ever evangelical myself. Um, I think I stopped believing before I got to that point, but I, as far as I remember, I didn't try to save anyone to share the quote-unquote gospel with anyone. There was those those instances like I shared with my friend um, who was Jewish around her aunt, but I was never trying to convert anyone as far as I can remember. I think, yeah, I think I just stopped believing before things really got to that point, but I really, from a young age, I learned that I needed to be saved, you know, that I was so sinful that I needed to be saved, that my identity was only in God, that my worth wasn't how well I was able to comply with the rules of religion, including and especially around sexual purity. And I learned that my lovability within my family was directly tied to my belief, to my ability to comply to those rules. I internalized so much homophobia, sexism, my own unworthiness, that my body and pleasure were not my own. And actually, as I'm saying sexism, I'm remembering too, that was another big thing that put another nail in the coffin of my connection to Christianity. I was a young, angry feminist from an early age, and I could not stomach a lot of the bullshit sexism and really rigid gender norms and gender rules that I experienced in the church. I remember being in middle school arguing at the dinner table with my parents about this stuff. So that was another thing that, um, yeah, sort of drove me away and just contributed to more and more questioning. And yeah, I think I'll talk a bit about more of the healing work now. And I just want to say again, you know, this is my story, my journey. Healing is certainly not a blueprint. It's not linear. It would be so easy if we could just copy-paste someone else's healing steps and go through them, but it's just like not reality. It's just not how it works. But first of all, I think 
all the healing that I've done in general, it's not separate from religious trauma. All the healing I've done in general around everything that I have done healing work around has played into or has been interwoven with religious trauma and particularly so much of the work that I've done around, you know, being seen and around abandonment and being myself, all of that is connected to my experience in youth group with those friends, all of that is connected to the what I learned about what it meant to be good as a girl, as a woman, to be quiet, to take your place, to, you know, be secondary, to be a supportive table leg for men, all of that shit. So that really, um, yeah, it's not that I've always, like, specifically been like, I'm healing religious trauma, it's just religious trauma is part of my story, it's 18 plus years worth of my life and so when I'm healing anything I'm healing religious trauma so that's how I think of it anyways but when it comes to specifics body work and pleasure work especially has been incredibly powerful for me and that's from so much of the purity culture shame, right? So work around reclaiming the body, reclaiming pleasure, prioritizing pleasure, allowing pleasure has been really profound and transformative for me. Work around being allowed to have needs and honoring my needs. Work around telling the truth about what I think and who I am and what I believe is also huge, hugely important to me and has been really important for my healing and and with that, I've shared on the podcast before as well, but I had a discussion with my mom, I guess a couple years ago at this point I don't actually know exactly when it was it might have only been like two years ago or a little over two years ago, but I came out to my parents as non-religious, as not Christian, as a non-believer. And I hope that using the phrase come out is not triggering for folks, but that is really how it felt and that's why I'm saying it. And there was a huge risk there of, yeah, losing my family's love. Although that didn't happen, um, now it's just You know, my mom regularly trying to convince me to believe in Jesus again, but that's a whole other thing. But telling the truth there was so important. And I don't know, honestly, when I would have done it if I didn't have to. My mom already kind of knew and she approached me about it. So I had an opportunity to, you know, double down on the lie or tell the truth. And I chose to tell the truth and take the risk of telling the truth. And I'm really glad that I did. Um, But that doesn't mean that things have been so easy in that regard with my parents. And I have not had that conversation with many other people in my family. Another person who I have had that version of that conversation with in my family has really, um, our relationship has not been the same. We are not close anymore and she has really created some 
rifts between us in responses that she's had to to me not being religious anymore so yeah I don't want to make it sound like you know just tell your family that you don't believe in Jesus anymore and everything's fine everyone's family is really really different and everything's not fine in my family but um I'm glad that I was able to tell that truth and share that truth about myself and outside of that family context I am so dogmatic about not lying about myself and about who I am and about fully fully sharing myself even when it's uncomfortable even when it feels hard um that's something that I have to do for myself to make up for all of that time where I wasn't able to be honest and where I really had to hide and when it comes to re-establishing a spiritual connection after religion again this is so personal but the biggest thing for me has been a reparenting process around this thinking about how do I wish my parents approached religion with me well I really wish that they gave me space to figure out what I thought for myself I really wish I was able to ask them questions and we were able to have open-ended discussions, non-judgmental, non-shamey discussions about life and existence and love and the world and values and different religions, different spiritual practices, different beliefs. I wish that I had been given space to explore and figure out what I really thought. I wish that I had been told it's okay for you to believe anything you believe, to believe nothing at all, as long as it's not hurting yourself or others. Belief is personal and it's different for everyone and there's no right or wrong thing to believe, no right or wrong way, no right or wrong religion to find or walk away from. It's all personal. My parents never told me any of that, so I tell it to myself. (laughs) And I think that has been really really important to say to myself you don't have to find any kind of spiritual connection spirituality any belief system you won't have to and if you want to that's great good for you and i'll be here my my parents self to my child self right supporting that holding your hand through it you have full permission to not believe to think critically, to question everything and anything, to run everything through the filter of your own intuition and your own body before you take it in, to embrace uncertainty, to not look at it as answers that you're seeking but questions you're asking and engaging with, to embrace that the answers don't actually exist, which Personally, I believe it is true. I don't think that there are, well, okay, it's complicated, but (laughs) I don't think that I know what happens when you die. I don't think that I know some one true way of believing or thinking or higher powers or anything like that. I only know what feels true for me in my body, and I don't think there is one truth. Um or one thing that happens, or anything like that. I think that belief is personal and 
coming to that space from a place of dogmatic, fundamentalist religion where there are answers for everything, where questioning is not allowed, where not complying is not allowed, where you have to agree with everything, there can't be differences, is healing. Allowing myself to not know, to be uncertain, to engage, to ask questions around existence, you know, to play with the idea of answers not even existing, but how interesting is it and fun is it even to ask the questions of like, why are we here? And of course, in the process of healing, there's been so much shadow work there's been so much somatic healing breath work has been huge for me through all of this and more recently over the past couple of years poetry has been a really beautiful way for me to process a lot of this trauma a lot of the harm that i've experienced to make more sense of my upbringing and i think that's I think that's all I want to share about this. I think this episode is probably almost long enough. Um, yeah, I think I can never really tell the full story because there's a lot of things I don't remember and it's complex and we could talk for literally hours about even just one of the things that I've shared. So. I think I answered most of the questions that came through on Instagram around this. I put up a question box, except for a couple. Um, so I think I'll just answer those two questions now, and then I want to read one more poem to you, and um, we'll close out. So the first question is, what aspects of the religion you were raised in do you think you still hold on to, if any? This is a really good question, (laughs) and I had to think about it a bit. I think one of the things that I now appreciate about being raised in religion is that it taught me about faith, and it taught me about believing in something bigger than myself, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that ability to connect with magic to believe in something bigger than myself um, forces energies greater than myself I certainly don't believe in it in the same way as I was raised but I think it yeah gave me some of that capacity which I am definitely grateful for I also think one of the things I learned in religion that was positive was around giving back and being generous and I mean, there's there's a lot we could unpack here around capitalism and white evangelical Christianity specifically wanting to, like, you know, go colonize with religion, black and brown countries around, yeah, not wanting to help the people who are actually here in the United States needing help because of capitalism and racism, but being so excited to go help people in other countries and all of the like conservativeness that can be part of it so i'm not going to get into that but just acknowledging that that's part of it too but i do think that i learned through religion um how to be generous and how important it is to help other people and certainly not that you can't learn that outside of religion you definitely can 
but I think I learned it in that context and that's definitely something that's obviously important to me um and what else Mm. probably the other big thing is not so much something that I learned specifically in church but is really the foundation of my dad's belief system and something that I really respect which is love God and love people and yeah I have a lot of respect for that belief system and I really like that so I think what I have what I still hold on to from that is loving people I don't have a concept of God in that same way you know I think of like universe or energy and even sometimes with that I'm like I don't know what the fuck is going on but loving people yeah absolutely I'm I'm down with that and that's really important to me and that's definitely something that I learned from my dad as part of his yeah religious beliefs spiritual beliefs And the other question I wanted to answer is, did you lose religious friends? How did you manage any loss of community? This is a really great question, and I know this is something that a lot of people have a really hard time with, and this is really real for so many people. I did not lose religious friends, mostly, I think, because around the same time that I moved, So my family moved from Southern Maryland, D.C. suburbs, to Southern Delaware, um, rural area, the November of freshman year of high school. And what I talked about, about being ditched by my whole church friend group, happened, I want to say, this summer. It happened that year, earlier that year, I think over the summer. I'm pretty sure over the summer. (laughs) It was a long time ago. Um, So I had already lost my friends, my religious friends, and then we moved. And once we moved, I never really connected with anyone at any of the churches that we went to because some of you might know about this or probably went through this process yourself, but there's a whole thing around looking for like your new church home, your new church family when you move. And so my parents were seeking that their new church home and we went to so many different churches when I moved over to Delaware which I was forced to go to um so yeah I didn't stay long enough at any of those churches to develop like religious friends so the friends that I made when I moved were really just through school and most of those people were people who grew up in less religious families than mine, whose families maybe like went to church, a lot of Catholic folks, um, but it wasn't the same as my family where everyone like really believes it and yeah, is what I would call evangelical or fundamentalist. Um, So yeah, I didn't, and most of those friends, the people I was close with were either not really religious or questioning or had much looser beliefs anyways so I didn't lose any of those friends I probably would have lost my religious friends from my old church but I had already lost them (laughs) so it didn't really matter I think I think where this comes in for me more is around family 
and I have definitely lost connection to a couple of family members. We still talk, but you know, we're not close anymore, that kind of thing. And that's hard, but to me, it's, it's worth it. You know, it's worth it. Telling the truth was worth it for me. And if that's the fallout, then that's the fallout. But that's, you know, easier for me to say because I didn't lose my friends, you know. I didn't lose my closest family members. So, um, yeah, my experience is certainly not universal. But I think that can be a really lonely period. And something I would recommend and offer if you're dealing with that loss of community is leaning into other things that interest you and excite you. Um, if it's poetry, like poetry community, if it's, I don't know, embroidery, embroidery community, pole dance community, whatever it is, like leaning more into those communities and anyone who you have in your life who is a support and deepening those relationships. So I'm sorry if that's not super helpful because that is not so much my experience. Um, but hopefully this episode helps you feel a little more seen, feel less alone. Maybe you can see some of yourself in my story. Um, maybe you can, yeah, see see connecting threads from what I'm sharing and, and your life. So... I just want to share this poem that I wrote. I shared it on Instagram a, a while back, but I was in an undercurrent workshop, which is a poetry community that I'm part of that is absolutely incredible, and I would highly recommend if you're into poetry, joining and writing poems together. It's super queer, it's a lot of ex-religious people as well, and it's just a really, um, really, really lovely space. I'll try to remember to link it in the description if anyone wants to to check it out but anyways the poetry prompt in this workshop was around imagining a world post something that has harmed you whether that's a person or an institution a place a system etc with your vision for restorative justice and i wrote this poem visioning a world post fundamentalist religion untitled so far but here it is when the churches fell, so did binary thinking, so did the cages of right and wrong, so did the ideas of a god so jealous he would destroy you, of needing to be saved, of hitting your kid to teach them not to hit. We saw how scary it was to see, to emerge from the mist of pews and certainty. We saw how you had built your whole world, your whole life, your whole self around the way things are, and we held you while you cried even though you didn't deserve it. We let you be afraid, we let you feel your shame, but we didn't let you stay there. You find all the hues between black and white, you find your humanity. Lush gardens grow on the grave of purity culture. We dance naked over the pages of Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't need Jesus anymore. We are Jesus. We save us. We save you. Thank you all for being here and for listening. Um, please do share over on Instagram. If you want to share your experience, if you want to share what resonated 
what made you feel connected about this story, like please do at E-R-Y-N-J underscore. I also have shared a lot about religious trauma and healing over there. I posted the other week about finding spiritual connection after and with religious trauma. I posted the other day about religious trauma and pleasure. I've got a lot of posts over there about this stuff for you, so you can check that out if you're into it. And I also wanted to share that the religious trauma workbook that I have been writing all year (laughs) is going to be out really soon, and there's a wait list. So on Wednesday, December 9th, I'm going to be sharing three days of free email prompts and a somatic exercise from the religious trauma workbook with folks on the waitlist. So you can join that waitlist if you'd like at the link in the description. Join by December 9th, next Wednesday, um, if you want to get those free practices. And just a little bit about the workbook, it's a 70 plus page digital workbook meaning that it was 70 pages when I sent it to the graphic designer and there's going to be a lot of space in there for actual writing so it might even double in size, I don't know but when I sent it to her, it was 70 pages (laughs) and it's full of prompts and reflections and meditations and rituals and somatic exercises to support you in healing your religious trauma and I made it for you, I made it for me I really think that this workbook is a spell for our healing and our resilience and I hope it supports I'm really excited to to share it with you so you know if any of what I shared resonates in this episode whether you grew up in religion or came to religion later in your life and are now struggling with its impacts I definitely invite you to get on the wait list and access those free practices on December 9th I think um I think they might help So you can check that out at the link in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode and interview, so stay tuned for that, and yeah, stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore. Until then.